Well, it's Palm Sunday today, everyone. Really, really warm welcome to BCC, particularly if you're just new with us uh, in the last uh, few, you know, few weeks or a couple of months or so. Um, but also, a really warm welcome to all of you long-standing people as well. We're great at welcoming the new people, but hey, there's lots of people who've been to BCC for years. Welcome to you too as well this morning. Give yourselves a round of applause for being so faithful. Um, it is Palm Sunday today, and I want to open this morning with a little story uh, going back into my history. I love a good story. Um, so when I was a young lad growing up in Zimbabwe, uh, we lived quite some way out of the city. And uh, so it was a real treat for me uh, to go uh, and stay the night with my nan and granddad uh, who lived in the city. And so we would drive in, we'd go to their place. It, they were in a block of flats. It was sort of two or three floors up. And I'd go there and, uh, you know, your nan and granddad, they make a fuss of you, don't they? And it's just great to be, great to be there. But one of my favorite things was the view from the spare room um, kind of looked across the park and then it looked into the city. And a great thing to do first thing in the morning uh, before everybody was up, like six o'clock in the morning was to kind of fling the curtains open and look at the sunrise over the city, just touching the tops of the buildings, maybe picking out a crane or two. And you know how a city kind of wakes up in the morning, doesn't it? And you can hear the beginnings of traffic and maybe some hooters and some motorbikes buzzing. And there's a sense of activity and movement and excitement. You know, there's a sense of uh, optimism, a sense of energy. Um, uh, you know, I, I like a city. I'm, I'm, I'm very sort of in inspired by by the idea of a city. I think a city represents possibility and opportunity and energy. There's something about a city that even to this day, or the concept of a city that even to this day, I find uh, very exciting and appealing. Um, I don't know if you uh, ever kind of do a, 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 you know, a car journey along the M6 going north, uh, but as you get to uh, the Fort Dunlop building on the right, uh, you know that in about a mile or two there's going to be, that the motorway will swing round and you get a, an awesome view of the centre of Birmingham, don't you? Uh, you can look across to the left and you can see it there, uh, and it's, it's just a great view. Um, it, you know, you can see all the high-rise buildings, uh, you can see the skyscrapers that are going up, there's kind of more tall buildings going up, and of course you can see the BT tower. Um, and then if you're coming into Birmingham, you pull off Junction 6 and you go along the Aston Expressway, which I think is the coolest entry into any city in the UK. Can I just say that? I think it's such an awesome drive in. You've got these multiple lanes of all this traffic. And then as you get nearer to the city, you go up onto a flyover, don't you? And you're kind of going round the corners and then you go down into the kind of the, the roar of the tunnels and then there's another tunnel. I mean, it, somebody needs to write a console game with that in the background. It is so, so good. Um, I've never been on it in a convertible, but I imagine that's the ultimate, you know, to kind of drive that road uh, and come into the city in that way. Uh, I had a recent trip uh, at the beginning of January uh, to go and see Sam and Jemmy. And Pastor Sam is the pastor of our church plant uh, out in India. And I got a flight with Emirates that came into Chennai, which used to be known as Madras. And I got, I booked a, I got a, a taxi to a hotel, and it seemed to me that the journey took a really, really long time. And we were not doing 30. Uh, we were really going for it. It was kind of 30, you know, 30 sometimes, but 50 most of the time. Um, and, and I was really surprised by the length of this journey because it was all solidly urban for the whole journey. And I found out that that should really be no surprise because the Chennai population uh, is it's home to uh, just under 11 million people. 
It is huge. That's four times, just to put that in context, that is four times the population of the whole of the West Midlands area. And that includes Coventry, Birmingham, you know, uh, Dudley, Wolverhampton, uh, all of these big cities. The, if you jump onto the urban development section of the World Bank website, it will tell you that 56% of the world's population lives in a city. Uh, and if urban populations carry on in the direction that they're continuing, nearly 7 in 10 people will, worldwide will be living in a city by 2050, which is not too far away. 80% of all of the value of the commercial goods bought and sold have their uh, dest destination or origin in a city. Uh, and that's a really significant number. Cities are becoming the dominant form of living on our planet as they continue to grow and grow and grow. And you'll see where I'm going with this. I've, I feel like the Lord has given me a kind of a, a perspective on city, which I think is really useful for us to understand as we think about Palm Sunday. Cities are very much on God's heart, not because of what they can produce, but because of who is in them. Um, we have a lot of people living in cities, and God's heart is directed to wherever people are. Now today we're going to take a look at a time when Jesus entered into a special city on a day that has come to be known as Palm Sunday. If you want to follow along uh, in the notes, I think the QR code is up there. You can point your phone at that and it'll open the YouVersion Bible app and you can add your notes in there. You've got the key scriptures that I'm bringing today. Please put in some notes if you want to. Uh, that would just be great. That's what it's there for. Please help yourselves. Now, this entrance by Jesus into a city was not a small boy waking up for, at his nan and granddad's house, all full of what might be happening that day uh, out in the town. It wasn't kind of cruising along a, a multi-carriageway motorway into a 21st century city with gleaming high-rises and, uh, and amazing buildings and flyovers, nor indeed was it with massive fanfare or pomp or splendor or long lines of you know, army battalions or officials or soldiers to mark the appointment of a new ruler to national power like we might see with a prime minister or a king or a queen? It wasn't any of those things. Instead, it was sat on the back of a foal of a donkey alongside the donkey's mother, clip-clopping along through the streets, and taking a slow journey into a city, this time the city of Jerusalem, the, 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 cent, the center and the capital city of the nation of Israel, and the city of God. And I want to bring you just three ideas this morning for Palm Sunday. Three ideas that I think Jesus is wanting us to receive and understand on this amazing day of our Christian calendar. Number one, Jesus brings peace and humility. Jesus brings peace and humility. In that culture, uh, at that time, if you rode a horse somewhere, you were expressing that you had authority and power. And we see that sometimes still to this day, don't we? When, there is, when there's mounted police, there's that sense of respect you have for them, maybe more than if they're just on foot. And if you were going to go to war and bring military strength into and against a city, um, then you would, your, your invading army would definitely come in on horseback and in chariots. They really would. But on this day uh, that, has been, you know, that has come to be known as Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and it reveals a very different kind of kingship that is coming to town. 
very different indeed. Um, I'm going to ask for a couple of volunteers at this point. Shagan, would you mind coming and joining me on the platform? Sorry to put you on the spot. Dami, sorry to put you on the spot. Uh, I'm just going to get you to come and do something. Come and stand on the platform. I want to I show to you something that I believe Jesus is trying to tell us on Palm Sunday. Now, I want you to face each other, and I want you to put your palms against each other, okay? Now, I want you to just do a little bit of a push against each other, okay? A little bit more, a little bit more. Okay, okay, that's great. Just, okay, you're ready in the stance. Who do you think, do you think Shagan's going to win? I, I mean, I like, okay, I don't know, I don't know. Okay, that, that's great. Pause that for a minute, that's brilliant, okay. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to get you to repeat that, okay? And this time, Dami, what I'm going to get you to do is midway through, I want you to just ease off the pressure completely. But I st- you both need to be pushing, but when I give the signal, just ease the pressure off, okay? Okay, so give it a good push, all right? And then now ease off. Okay. Now, for Shagan, what he did was, when he realized that Dami had stopped pushing, what did he do? He stopped as well, didn't he? He stopped as well. Gentlemen, thank you for the demonstration. You may return to your seats. Good job. Well done. Great job. The reason I wanted to share that illustration with you is that it's, if there's one image I want you to take away from Palm Sunday, it's the image of backing off the pressure. It's the image of not bringing a pushing kind of power. Jesus doesn't bring a pushing kind of power. He comes with the power of gentleness. And when we feel that gentleness from him, do you know what? We do the same thing. There's a gentleness that spreads to us. Have you ever kind of sensed that around people who've filled with Jesus and you're like, wow, there's something really gentle about you and you start becoming gentle too. The Jews believed that an anointed one was coming to save them, but their religious leaders particularly had very fixed ideas about how that would happen. Uh, and now this anointed one was called a Messiah in Hebrew and Christos in Greek, from which we get the title Christ. And so when we say Jesus Christ, we say Jesus is the anointed one. So the idea of a Messiah is one anointed with power from God to bring a new kingdom. But the Jewish leaders thought that Jesus would be the kind of leader that would push. They thought he would be somebody who would come and exert the kingdom of God into Israel by military force, like maybe Joshua or or David. And you can understand that they would think that because you often look back to the past for precedent, don't you? And you say, well, how was this done in the past? Well, King David did it with military conquest, so therefore a Messiah must do the same again. But when Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, he comes ushering a new kingdom of gentleness with him. It's not all about pushing at all, although it does have definite boundaries for what is right and wrong. Jesus' Jesus's disciples lead the initial reaction from the crowds who seem at first to be with and for Jesus by laying out their clothes in the roads. And they lay out palm branches that they've cut from the trees to herald his arrival. What they're basically doing is what we see sometimes when we see a dignitary going through town, like someone from royalty or maybe, maybe the prime minister, I don't know. Um, but you might throw flowers or flags or something into the street to show a mark of respect and reverence and that's what they're doing they shout hosanna and hosanna means something like a cross between please save us and thank you for salvation it comes from psalm 118 they announce jesus as son of david affirming him to be the messiah and in writing up the story matthew explains that jesus's arrival is a fulfillment of an important prophecy 
It goes back to Zechariah chapter 9, uh, verse 9, which reads as follows. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Daughter Zion is a term to describe Jerusalem. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, we focus on that bit because Matthew reproduces that, doesn't he, in the reading that uh, Joshua so, uh, did so well for us just now. But I also want to draw your attention to verse 10, the immediate verse after that, because it explicitly states the the how, the how that that Jesus is going to do it. It's this, it, it, it says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war will be removed. And so in other words, what Zechariah is doing, he's foretelling how the Messiah is going to do it. And it won't be with military power. It won't be with a show of strength. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Zechariah is saying that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem uh, as king, chariots and horses and, and, and bows and arrows will not be used, nor will any other weapons of war or domination come out. And instead, peace is being proclaimed to the nation and to the ends of the earth. And if you're someone that's bringing peace, you don't need to ride a war horse. You just need to ride in on a donkey. And you can be humble because that's what you're bringing. The way of Jesus is to bring peace and humility into the city of God. And I don't know about you, but I like that. I'm not sure I'm all up for the whole real strength and show of power thing. I really like the fact that Jesus is humble and gentle in heart. That's incredibly appealing to follow. So the first big idea is it's peace, not power. The second big idea is that Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven with him. Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven. You would have thought that Jesus humbly coming to announce a kingdom of peace would have been greeted with universal joy in Jerusalem, but it turns out that that is not the case. Cities are indeed full of people, aren't they? And God loves loves everybody, but not all people love God. And nor is everybody delighted by the idea of a new kingship, even one of humility and peace. And what we find as we continue on into the rest of Matthew 21 is a descent into conflict between the kingdom of heaven that Jesus brings with him on the one hand and the kingdoms of mankind and the enemy that, the, that is already there that needs to be dislodged. Um, I've had quite a battle bringing this message today. I've had a struggle against an enemy. I don't know if you ever have this sometimes when you go to a Christian meeting and you feel like the enemy is just going and trying to push you back. Oh man, I have had a struggle with this message. And I think it relates to this section here where I'm going to speak out some things that Jesus wants to announce that are the kingdom of heaven things versus some other dominions and some other kingdoms. Um, I had a, a strange dream last night that uh, I was uh, like supposed to be playing in the England football team. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's, a, that's a fantasy right there. And, uh, and at the age of 55 and with my level of fitness, I was supposed to be playing in the, you know, the World Cup final with England. And we were playing against Italy. And uh, I was in 20 minutes into the game and I was fluffing up all the passes and I was missing it. And you know that, that football player, Grealish? He was like shaking his head at me. You know, I'm just useless. I'm not at that level whatsoever. And I wake up at about five to five this morning and I have this message in my mind from the devil which says, you're just an old has-been. You know, you're past it, dude. What are you doing? 
And then, I, and then I'm like, hold on a minute. I'm not having that. I might be a has-been, but I follow a Jesus who is not. I belong to him. I'm not my own entity. I belong to someone else. I am part of a kingdom of light. I am not part of the kingdom of darkness. You can get out of my face, Satan, and I am bringing this message today whether you like it or not. So sometimes you get a result. <laughs> sometimes... You get a resistance from the enemy, and it manifests itself in ugly ways. And usually there's a kind of dirtiness in your mind, and you have to say, that is not from me, and it's, it's not of God, and I'm going to resist that, and I'm going to proceed anyway. I think that's essential discipleship, and I hope that that maybe helps you sometimes. So here are some things that I think, uh, that I think need to be said, that I think Jesus shows great courage in saying and doing as he enters into Jerusalem, because he's basically dismantling some wrongful kingdoms. First of all, he goes into the temple and turns over the tables, announcing that it needs to stop being a den of thieves, and he wants it to return to being a house of prayer. He then challenges the chief priests and scribes when they are upset and annoyed about the children shouting Hosanna. He, def- he deflects challenges to his authority, you know that debate about where John the Baptist came from and where Jesus comes from. He curses and withers a fruitless fig tree to show Israel's failure to introduce the kingdom of God to the rest of the world properly. And then we have a couple of parables, and they're painful, tough, sharp parables from Jesus. They, they bring criticisms to the religious establishment. Um, there's one about two sons. One of them says uh, no, then yes, and then one of them says yes, and then no, in terms of responding to some requests for work. And it's a parable about the fact that the Jews are going to be behind the rest of the world in the uptake of Jesus' new kingdom. And then there's a, another parable towards the end of Uh, Matthew 21, which is about the tenants and the landlord uh, in the vineyard, and it reveals dreadful treatment of God's messengers in the past by the people of Israel, and it foretells the shameful treatment of the landowner's son, which is a picture of how that city is about to treat the Son of God through the cross. So Palm Sunday is a big clash of kingdoms, and and it's where the big clash of kingdoms really begins, I think. I mean, there's been sort of snippets of it up to now, but this is where it really gets going in earnest. Uh, This is the business end of Jesus' ministry, Uh, and uh, it's, it's a clash between the kingdom of heaven on the one hand and the kingdom of mankind, or even underneath that, perhaps, the kingdom of darkness uh, on the other But what we see is that ultimately the kingdom of heaven wins through Jesus going to the cross. Now the reason that we've given you all a a cross made of palm leaves this morning um, is that Palm Sunday points to the cross. The cross is the way that Jesus brings his peace to a city. And it's the way he makes the city of God have God back at its center again. That's how he does it. You know when things drift off course and you want to get them back on God again, the way you do that is you put the cross back right in the center of it, and it gets God right back into the main agenda. Um, It's not through military power that he achieves it. It's through sacrificial death on the cross for our sins. So we have this humble farmyard animal trotting through the streets of Jerusalem with the king of heaven on his back, coming in courageously, pretty much alone, he's only got a handful of disciples and a rather flimsy crowd in terms of their opinion, basically facing up to four or maybe possibly more kingdoms that are opposed to him. Can you imagine the courage that that takes? Can you imagine how hard it is to go and face that off? 
I, you know, sometimes I've had situations in life where I've had to face it off and go and deal, and you deal with the thing, you know, and face the music. Have you ever had those situations? I remember one time in my very early career in, in uh, I was working for Vauxhall Motors and I had to take a customer car back and I scratched it up in a hedge. I came around a corner, saw this truck, truck coming the other way, paused, reversed up too hastily and I scratched it all down the side and it was all valeted and everything ready for the customer to have back. And I knew I was in massive trouble really, really bad trouble. And I found this little quiet country garage uh, just bef- before you know, I, I got to the customer's house. And I, pr- I, can't, I wasn't a Christian back then, but I think I prayed, please, can we fix this? And they did. They did a great job with a bit of tea cut and a bit of polish. I could have kissed them, honestly. I was so, so relieved that, that they fixed my horrible situation. But I was, I guess I'd built myself up to be ready to face a really hard situation. Unfortunately, I had some people to help me. Jesus has no one to help him here. He rides on a donkey into a set of kingdoms that are opposed to him. Let me just share with you what those kingdoms are. The first kingdom is of earthly and political power represented by Pilate and Herod. The second kingdom is religion power represented by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes and the teachers of the law. And for those of you who might be a little confused by my usage of the word religion, I don't, I don't use religion in a positive way. Uh, it's not what I think Christianity is. I think Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Um, it really, really is. Um, when I say religion, I mean any self-effort that tries to g- draw a person towards God in its own strength. Religion says, I'm really proud of my effort to please God and how I'm getting closer to him. And uh, we have lots of traditions that all of us as humans have built up over the years to help us to do that together. That's what religion is. But relationship says something totally different. Relationship says, I'm humbled because Jesus made some efforts through going to the cross that allow me to be drawn closer to God, despite me not deserving to. And we should only keep traditions if they help us remember those things, like communion or baptism. Religious mindsets declare, we already know, and they often look backwards. But relationship mindsets say, I'm open to being led into brand new things by Jesus, and they often look forwards. This is why Jesus doesn't ride the donkey, he rides the foal, in my opinion. Um, it's all about, he's all about the new thing that, can, that, that we can be doing with him that looks ahead to the future. That's Jesus to a T. And then we have another third kingdom, this time the kingdom of financial power, which is represented by the money changers in the temple at one end of the spectrum and Judas at the other, being seduced by money so far that he will betray the Son of God because of it. And we have another fourth kingdom, the kingdom of broken humanity, represented by the disciples unable to stay awake or running off into the night or even denying that they know Jesus. At the one end of the spectrum and Barabbas at the other. Just think, just think this through with me for a minute. Imagine your task this afternoon is to ride into London on a donkey and face off all the banks, all the religion, all the broken humanity, and you're just going to do it on a donkey. That is courage. You've got to admit that that is a very, very courageous thing to do. It really is. 
Jesus comes into Jerusalem that way, though, because he wants to create a different kind of city. He wants to create a city that's not dominated by pushing and striving. It's not dominated by this ugly trinity of politics, religion, and money. He wants to create a different kind of city filled with peace where no one is left out, but there's grace, and it's served by a trinity of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And that is what is so appealing about Jesus. That's why I like him so much. Uh, I, I, I find him irresistible, that he is prepared to just humbly walk, saying, hey, this is me, and this is what I represent, and do you want to follow me? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I absolutely want to follow you. I think that's great. I'm not wowed by shows of power or all your religious efforts or all your, all your cash in the bank. I just love you, Jesus, and I want to follow you. So number one, Jesus brings peace, not power. Number two, Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven and he faces off some non-kingdom of heaven uh, entities or powers, if you like. And the final thing, number three, Jesus has an eternal city in view. Hey, aren't our kids doing well this morning? You guys are just doing so, so well. Well done for being so quiet and doing your activity packs. I'm so appreciative. So number three, Jesus has an eternal city in view. I find Palm Sunday to be a little bittersweet. It's bittersweet. And what I mean by that is it just shows us for a short duration, the duration of a donkey ride through some streets, how things should be. The king of heaven applauded and praised and lifted up and blessed and with clothes on the ground and, and, and palm trees strewn before him. You know, for, for people to do that is an act of worship and reverence and it's joyful celebration. And that's all just as it should have been, but it's over way, way too soon. Palm Sunday is just a momentary glimpse of the fanfare that always surrounds Jesus in the eternal city of heaven. I was uh, delighted to discover that in Revelation there are some references to city and to palms which I didn't, re I didn't know were there. Um, in Revelation, 7, 9, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, John has his vision of the city in heaven in which Jesus is continually worshipped. And what we find is that they have palm branches in their hands there too. I, I didn't know that that was there. There's a little detail that I missed. It says this, After this I looked... And there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, and people in a language. Sounds like a description of BCC, doesn't it? Uh, which no one could number. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And get this, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. You know, there's another Palm Sunday going on in heaven. And it goes on all the time. And it has palm branches as well. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Because of what? Because of this. Because of the cross. He gets us into that place because of what he does on the cross. And then I also noticed at the end of Revelation, we see Jerusalem completely renewed as a heavenly city coming down out of heaven at the end of time. Revelation 21, 1 to 3 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. I'm just going to ask the worship team if you guys would like to return. Thank you so, so much. Just think, for, think with me for a moment. Um, many of our Bible stories 
kind of touch on the idea of a better city. They bring up the theme and the thought of, of a better city. If you, if you go back as far as Babel even, people set out to build themselves a city that reaches heaven on exactly the four things that Jesus came into Jerusalem to overcome. Politics, religion, money, and broken humanity. That's what the Tower of Babel was all about. And God kind of confounds them by breaking up their language, doesn't he? But he, he does that because he has a much better city in mind. He sees that what they're going to be attempting in their humanness will end badly. Abraham, despite being a bit of a nomad, he's commended in Hebrews 10 for looking forward to the city that has foundations, who, whose architect and builder is God. The Lord rebukes Jonah. Why does he rebuke Jonah? Because Jonah is sulking outside a city that he should have had more care for. From his exile in the largest Gentile city possibly ever, and certainly at that time, Babylon, Daniel has a vision of one like a son of man who has dominion over a much greater realm than the Persian Empire. Nehemiah is devastated at the ruin of his city and he sets about rebuilding its walls until the job is done. And so Jesus, riding into a city on a donkey on Palm Sunday, is just a brief glimpse of the kingdom of heaven and of the heavenly city of God that God has in mind for us and just as it will be in eternity. Thank you for listening so patiently, BCC, and well done, kids, for, for paying attention and doing your activity packs. Would you stand with me, BCC? Uh, we're bringing our message into a close this Palm Sunday. Let's all stand together. And I, I want to ask you three questions from Palm Sunday that, that I think Palm Sunday prompts us to ask. Is there a situation in your life where more gentleness might work versus more force. What I'm saying is, is there a situation where force hasn't worked so far, where maybe gentleness might work better? Because we follow a king who models gentleness. He does not come in with a sword to try and slash things around into a new order. He doesn't do that. He comes humbly riding on a donkey. He makes himself less. He's incredibly humble. And is there a situation in your life, in your, in your world, where you're thinking, oh, I can solve this with force, but maybe that's not the way. Maybe that's not the way to do it. Maybe gentleness is the answer. I don't know about you, but I think we live in a really strident world, don't we? It's very self-pumped. Very, hey, I'm the celebrity of my own life. Hey, Jesus isn't like that. He really isn't. Are you facing some human or enemy resistance that you need to kind of walk into knowing that Jesus is alongside you? Jesus is a courageous guy, isn't he? Imagine riding into a city on a donkey to face off those kinds of kingdoms. So you're not alone. Whatever you might be facing that's hard, Jesus is right there alongside you because he's gone that journey already. You're not by yourself. Jesus is right there with you in the tough stuff that you face. Is there something that you are facing that is of human origin or maybe even of enemy origin where you need Jesus to just reassure you that he is walking alongside you? And lastly, are you longing for a better city? Are you longing for a better city? I mean, I love Birmingham. It's an awesome city, but there's a lot of stuff to improve in it, isn't there? Maybe your heart cry is a city filled with people who worship Jesus. A city filled by the Spirit. 
You know, my prayer at the moment, I have a, a, a prayer shield that I send to um, like a whole lot of guys in the church and you get a text once a month. And my prayer this month is that the spirit would be full and strong in this place. Because I believe that if the, if the spirit is strong in a place and the worship is good and right in the heart of the city, then it ripples out to so many different things. Jesus came to reestablish that and we have a mandate to continue it, don't we? We really do. So just as we worship, if any of those things strike you or appeal to you and you want to come and tell Jesus that, we have a culture in our church of being invited to the front and there's a space for you to do that. Kevin and the team will lead us in worship. By all means, come and step forward and speak to Jesus about what's on your mind. That would be absolutely our privilege. Thank you so much, Kevin. Lead us in worship. Thank you.